Hello, world. I'm your host, Max Patton, and this is Dreaming Polygons, the podcast where we explore the games industry and where it's headed by interviewing the voices and perspectives shaping its future, one polygon at a time. Today, I'm talking to Alex Jones, a game music composer who's experimenting with procedural audio and integrating that with new ways of telling stories in games, as well as making her own narrative exploration game based on her traumatic childhood and early life. Let's see what she has to say. Hello, everyone. I am with Alex right now. Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey. Thanks for coming on the show. As we start with all our guests, I want to ask you your story of how you got into games from a personal perspective. What made you realize that you could contribute to games? And when was that moment for you? It's a weird one because I have like the side of it that's games and the side of it that's music. So like, I grew up playing games to some extent. We had like a Game Boy and then when I was a bit older, we got a PlayStation. And so games like Pokemon and Harry Potter and kind of classics from the 90s and the noughties, I connected with a lot and I had quite a rough childhood. And so being able to escape to those games was something that was really important in kind of surviving that. And the same goes for music in a way of like getting into rock music and all that kind of stuff is a really good like coping mechanism of getting through life but it wasn't till I was at university maybe that I really thought that it was a job that I could do because like growing up no one said oh you can work in the games industry that that's a thing it wasn't really a thing as far as I know and it was never told and what do you think was the moment that you realized that games and music could intersect for you and that you could uh create for that yeah I don't I don't know when I started becoming aware of the fact that music and games was important it just kind of was always there and I guess it's something that you spend so long playing all your favorite games the soundtracks become so so much a part of that but I think in university because I was lucky enough to go to the University of Surrey which is in Guildford so it's surrounded by a lot of games companies and a kind of culture with independent developers and game jams and stuff like that so I was able to jump into it as a student and then I realized that all these people are doing these jobs and it's something that I can be a part of. When it comes to music in games, what do you think the significance of that is? Like in film and television, music has been employed uh, for quite a while, and games are such a new medium that we're still experimenting with it. So what do you think the role of music for games is? I mean, I think the role is still the same of creating like an emotional journey or like pushing your players in a way that you want them to feel or helping support the storyline. But there's the added element of the fact that it's non-linear so it changes all the time and the player's in control of what happens with the gameplay and then what happens with the music in turn so when you're watching a film you can't change how the film turns out you just have to sit and experience it as intended whereas with games you know you have completely procedurally generated games that have music that goes alongside that and it can be really different so in that sense it can almost have a role of creating something really new and almost unique to you. Yeah, and I think there's also like a length thing, because if you think about it like a movie or a show is going to last at most two hours, whereas a game, even the shortest of games, are usually like three hours, right? And a lot of them, uh, an RPG or something, can stretch to tens or hundreds of hours, which makes music, I think, really important in the sense that it can't be too repetitive or annoying. It has to catch the right atmosphere. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a really hard one because you want 
kind of a motif or something to hang off that people remember and come back to but then it's really hard to find the balance between playing it enough for them to remember or too much that they're like right this is really annoying now <laughs> right you've worked on a lot of experimental games and game jams and games that are really doing new sort of things what attracts you to the field of uh, independent games that are specifically you know breaking boundaries and storytelling in new ways what makes that special for you yeah i mean i have a lot of affinity towards people who struggle with mental health issues and had like quite a tough upbringing myself and these kind of stories aren't necessarily told in really big budget games so having that element to relate to for people who are going through similar things was one of the main things just because it purely makes you feel less alone but also because I'm quite a creative person and I like to explore things and try things out even if they don't work and they're not something it's not a product you would sell but it's something that you've tried out and is really cool so that's probably why mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting because you see in mainstream media I mean it still happens to where games are portrayed as you know violent or harmful in that way because people mainly focus on big budget games whereas what you see in the more independent sector is usually more artistic and usually can have a lot of positive benefits too. I mean, games of all kinds can, right? Like you said, with mental health and helping people cope through difficult times in the real world, uh, being a form of escapism, and even, you know, what we see today with uh, charity streams and all sorts of things like that. What do you think is important when it comes to games intersecting with the real world from your experience? Well, I think because games are made by us, there always is going to be that connection because we can't get away from who we are and our experiences. And we only really put those experiences into the games that we make. So however abstract they are, there's still something that someone can connect to, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. A lot of the work you've done for music and games is experimenting with procedural music, right? Yeah, <laughs> as much as possible. Right. And for those who don't know, what does that really mean? It's kind of music that on the, in the same way that in games they might have systems that determine how characters might behave or, or how enemies react to certain things the same that you want that to happen with the music so it can be music that is built off a very small sound palette or you can build it off a really large one it depends how much you want it to sound like your music or whether you're willing to let computers kind of decide what happens with it so it can be completely randomly generated or it can be somewhere in between so you might feed it certain motifs or key signatures or chord patterns and then the computer can decide which section of that that it plays because i think we're increasingly realizing for games that like you can't just stick an audio file anymore and play that like in order anymore because that's not really the only way people experience games like we mentioned before with length and other things music kind of has to adapt and it's done that for a while but what do you think are the steps it's taking now to do that even more so than it was before this is quite a difficult thing between um it sounding random and people not being able to, to connect to it because they're used to stuff that we hear in the charts or other soundtracks that you listen to or even some people miss like loop music because the repetition becomes so familiar that that creates that emotional bond and so really random AI music isn't appealing to people either. So we have to try and mix them together in a way that works for games. 
And uh, specifically in games, one of your more recent projects is Elise Unpainted Memories, which is this puzzle narrative game that you're working on with Skyfish. For those who don't know, can you quickly describe that game and what you think the role of the music in it is going to be for the experience? So the game is kind of a tile swapping game in the sense that you have to take your character and progress them through a path from A to B to get through the game, but you have to move pieces of the the screen around essentially to make her able to get through but it's very hand-drawn and painterly kind of aesthetic um and she's quite a kind of delicately drawn character so I wouldn't want to like overpower anything and I use the piano as the main instrument to represent Elise but I also work a little bit with creating kind of soundscapes crossed over with music and letting the kind of however far you're progressing in the puzzle determine how much of that is being played but I didn't want it to be overly driven in the same way that sort of modern games would have like exploration music and then combat music when an enemy is close I didn't want it to be like really obviously like you solved the puzzle now well done I wanted it to kind of evolve and represent the kind of environment that she's exploring. So more kind of smoothly integrate and transition in accordance with the gameplay? Yeah but I wanted to play with it and see how far it can go with the random elements before it becomes unpleasant. And you yourself are working on a project called The Quiet Things, which is an autobiographical narrative game about your life. What inspired you to do that and how is that going? I've been through a lot in my short life as it is already and I always kind of thought I wanted to write a book about it or something like that because I'd never known anyone to go through the experiences that I had. So I kind of felt quite lost while I was going through it whereas if I'd had like a buddy or a mentor or someone that had written about it then I would have been like oh I'm not so alone like I can get through this but I don't know if I'm that good at writing but then I realized that I could kind of make games so I thought that was a really perfect way to explore the way of expressing that and telling that story but it's very personal and it's a bit different to normal games that you might play. And how would you say it's different? It's quite um, like blunt about things and I don't sugarcoat anything it's in the sense that I'll like deal with kind of domestic violence or like mental health, like depression, anxiety or like suicidal feelings without it being part of some kind of hero storyline. Like it's just the very human side of it and the real life that lots of people experience. Yeah, and it's a sensitive topic that games have dealt with traditionally quite poorly. I think last year Hellblade came out. That was mostly well received for portraying mental illness. Do you think that's, is that like a model you're following or are you doing something entirely new? Yeah, for that game, I think they explored psychosis quite a lot and the kind of like hearing of voices, but they did the really incredible thing of using like binaural sound and having like their actors moving around a mic as the voices would have done like in your head. So it sounds really incredible. But I don't know what what model it would be to be set fair. Like I think they treat the topic sensitively, but it's also not about that. It's kind of about something quite fantastical and the main point of the story is kind of more within these Celtic mythology rather than that she has a mental illness. They just kind of use that as part of her character. It happens to be part of her character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in your game, it's much more at the center of things because it's your personal experience, not a fantastical story. 
Yeah, sure. What do you think that's going to be like in terms of developing? Are you working with other people? Are you still planning it out? At what stage in that process are you at? Yeah, so I finished a prototype and I went to like local exhibitions and stuff just to get people playing it. Um, and it was really well received, actually, but I want to do a lot more with it than there currently is. And it's because it doesn't really have like a main mechanic, like it's based off more of a walking simulator kind of genre than a gameplay mechanic. So I want to maybe add more puzzle elements to it. But I don't know. I'm just kind of exploring how it goes. And I work with a couple of other people, but more like for advice than than proper working relationships. <laughs> right. With the walking simulator genre, we've always seen that music is really good. Like Dear Esther, What Remains of Edith Finch, they're all games that use music really well. And I think that's a big part of their ambience. And I imagine uh, your plans are similar with your game. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a lot to live up to. I don't know if I would manage that. Well, the same <laughs> style, though. Like, Yeah, I think my game was compared quite a lot to Life is Strange in the elements of kind of, uh, I don't know, like shoegazy guitars and quite uh like i use lyrics because that was something that i did when i was younger to express myself but lots of games don't actually use lyrics that much and it's more of a like japanese anime trend than it is in video games there's much more like orchestral soundtracks that don't have words like mm -hmm. a little bit in skyrim but it's not anything you can understand either right a lot of it's limited to like the blockbuster style action music or it's ambient music of some kind but usually games shy away from lyrics because it's viewed as too distracting. Yeah. But you think it's going to enhance the atmosphere for your game? I think so, yeah. The only problem I come across is if there's any narrative, I have to make sure that there's no lyrics bumping into that. But I don't know. I I like it as a way of connecting the player to it. And I think like Life is Strange use the band Dorsa to compose a lot of their music and they use lyrics and it works really well. And I think... There's no reason why it can't be used in games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's something we need to explore more. It's a hard process of figuring out how to make that work with gameplay and not be distracting. But if done well, it can have really great effects. I want to talk about diversity. And uh, you're an advocate for uh, women in games. Can you explain that briefly and what you view as the importance of that? I think it's just that, you know, women make up quite a small amount of the industry compared to men. And Actually, in game audio specifically, it's less than 10% women wow. versus like 90-odd percent men, which is kind of, I don't know, you think it's too big of a gap that you can accept, really, because you can't find the reasons why. If you look back at, if you ever were in any music education, you actually probably weren't taught about women composers at all. And like on our GCSE curriculum in England, it's only very recently that they've made it compulsory to have to include female composers because you learn about like Mozart and Beethoven and all sorts. And it wasn't till I was at university and probably my second year of university that I was like, oh, I've never actually, I don't even know how to name a female composer. Like that's really shocking. Huh. It is kind of sad. And it's something I guess that we have to get better at diversity is something that's talked about a lot now but what do you think specifically in audio design like what's the benefit of it right a practical benefit because a lot of people they, they see it negatively right they see it like oh what's the point of this this is just needless what do you think is the value of that gained perspective and that gained experience when you have people from more backgrounds well it's just a kind of 
common sense thing is the more people from different walks of life that you incorporate, the more people that you appeal to. And that goes for any discipline, whether it's programming, art, music, whatever, because if you're just looking at a smaller subsection of people, then they're going to be the target audience kind of naturally because you're creating games that you would probably play. Yeah, and and that's true because, I mean, that's why I think gaming has a stigma of being for men usually or for boys. I mean, usually for young teenagers, that's the stereotype just because that's the audience that grew up making games a lot of the time, almost exclusively just because of social dynamics. And it's not really, it hasn't really changed from that until like the last decade or so, at least at a level where, at a level that's large enough that we're finally seeing an impact, I think. When I was growing up, at least it was considered a boys thing, but I was kind of more of a tomboyish kind of girl. So I embraced that as someone who liked boys things, but it wasn't until I was kind of older that I became more feminine. And then I already had that gaming experience from being like that. And so I thought, oh, there must be a way for it to appeal to women more as well. Yeah. Looking towards the future, where do you see it going? What do you see yourself doing beyond your game? Do you want to work on more indie projects? Do you want to work on more theoretical and abstract things? What do you want to do with music and games? I mean, I love working on things that I never would have thought I worked on. So like really like abstract projects or even something like installations or like a crossover between like a game and an installation. There's um, a thing in London called London's Games Festival and they have Now Play This, which is part of that. And all of their video games are kind of practical hands-on games. So they're all like installations. And so there's people running around rooms and talking to each other and there's like music involved. Like it's really amazing, but that would be something that I'd quite like to explore more. But I think the more experimental you want to be, the less money there is traditionally in it. Yeah, but at the same time, we have like a virtual reality, right? And that's like a buzzword kind of thing. So there's interest in that, right? I feel like there is a lot of interest in, you know, you could have a museum exhibit with an installation and kind of attract it, you know, saying, oh, virtual reality or something like that, because that's kind of something that's resurged recently. Yeah, that's true. You can get funding for things if they sound cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's just the eternal truth. But there's a lot of cool stuff going on right now between that augmented reality. Yeah, it's quite an interesting era for music because when it becomes augmented reality, then you don't necessarily want a soundtrack lasting all over the place because you want to be able to hear the real world because it's implemented into it. So that's still something that's being explored quite a lot, I think. I read something somewhere that like headphones are the first example of augmented reality invading our lives. Uh, and I'm not sure I agree with that because you're kind of overriding it with headphones. Yeah. But with the noise canceling stuff that headphones are doing and I don't know, it's interesting. Like I, I imagine a future where games maybe can augment your audio. I think there was this app on phones called Zombies Run that was like a running app where it told a story about a zombie apocalypse and it, it integrated the narrative into an exercise app. So you would run from the zombies and you'd hear them coming closer and you do missions and stuff. I think it'd be really interesting to see more of that. Yeah, I think one of the drawbacks is that because binaural audio is what sounds really amazing and it makes you look over your shoulder because it sounds like it's really there, like it's really incredible. Right. But the processing power required to do that is quite high, so it wouldn't be like mobile, like for example, and they often have to bake the location of the sounds so you can't move them, whereas in augmented reality you need to be able to look around and the sounds stay where they are in the 3D world. So 
I guess that's what is going to get explored next and the next hurdle for people to get over. Mm-hmm. Traditional microphones and stuff probably aren't optimized for capturing that kind of sound. Yeah, so you need like well, probably a dummy head recording, which is where you put micro- microphones inside the ears of this dummy head and mm-hmm. you'd record it from that. But there's also the problem that that is kind of a template head, so it doesn't suit everybody exactly the same. So what you hear is not exactly the same as what someone else is. Yeah, maybe we'll have to like mathematically alter it to to you know change depending on a person's dimensions and things yeah so there's like a thing called head head related transfer functions which you would try and measure individual people's ears <laughs> oh, sounds complicated but really cool at the same time thank you again so much for coming on and for telling us a little bit about the sound and experience of games because it's a thing that people hear a lot but they don't think about enough so it's good that um we had you on oh you're very welcome and if people want to find out about what you're doing, uh, your game, follow you, where can they do that? On Twitter, on my website, on Facebook, I'm pretty much everywhere. It's just Alex Jones spelled with a Y. <laughs> sure, and those will be linked in the description. Thank you again for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks so much for having me. Bye! That's it for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts or leave a like on YouTube. You can subscribe to us in basically every podcast app and on YouTube as well. There's also Twitter, which you will want to follow to stay updated and new episodes of the show. Our Twitter is at PolygonsFM. Everything will be linked in the description in case you didn't catch it. Thank you so much for listening to the end of our fifth episode, and I will see you with a new guest next week. Until then, goodbye world.